Last week we talked about preparing new wineskins. That Jesus came as Savior not to bring more rules and regulations, but to be the patch that covers the obvious hole that happens when sin in our life comes out. And they didn't come to add to our burden, but he actually came to do what we couldn't do ourselves. But that means we have to change our thinking. And that's even present today. Even though we don't have all those rules and regulations, some of us still feel more comfortable working our way through salvation than just accepting it as the free gift that he says that it is. Uh, sometimes that's hard for us. And, and those that have sinned much, we're thankful for that type of a, an extravagant, scandalous love that Jesus would give us. And sometimes for those of us raised in a Christian home, it feels more comfortable to have the guardrails of rules, the don'ts and the do's. Uh, and if we just do all of those and don't do all the bad stuff that, but can I tell you, you can do all the bad stuff, don't do all the bad stuff and do all the good stuff. And without Jesus Christ, you still don't make it to heaven. So uh, we have to understand this. Uh, the week before that, we, we talked about some questions of why do we need a Savior? And can't a loving God just overlook our sin? And, and we handled and addressed those things. And, and deep down inside of each one of us, I, I believe we truly know what God expects of us. But when it requires sacrifice, when it requires change, is when the rub begins. If we could just say, hey, it doesn't matter what I do. I don't have to change anything. And Jesus is just going to be cool with all that then everybody would embrace Christianity. The reality is he will accept you as you are, but then change begins. And the way that Jesus wants change to begin is from the inside out. It's not about the dress code. It's not about what we wear or how we do our hair or having the right smile, the right education. It's not about attending Sunday school. All those things are, are great. We want you to be you, but can I tell you, we're not here for behavior modification. We're here for heart transformation because without a transformed heart, we still go astray. We're still lost and undone. So I took a little passage from a, a, a traditional Christmas carol. We've been talking about these Christmas carols along the way, and it's amazing how many of them tap into Scripture. And this is from the, uh, what child is this? So look at this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And that's a great question. What child is this? There's, there were many children. I, I tend to believe there was more than just Jesus born that day. Okay? But then it goes on, whom angels greet, greet with anthems sweet. Not all those children had angels appearing at their birth. <laughs> and shepherds watch or keeping. Not all those children had angels appear to shepherds and send them into the city to look for the promised child. But look at this. Here's a child that they say, bring him incense and gold and myrrh for an obvious reason come peasant that's us king to own him even the kings the king of kings salvation brings let loving hearts enthrone him this this is Christ the king 
whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste, to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. He was a king from his birth, whether he was a baby or not, whether he looked like it or not. And that's the struggle that a lot of people have, but understand he was, he was a savior before he was born. But he was born for a specific reason. And I love this word. I've heard this word for a long time, that laud, L-A-U-D. Now, that's not the southern version of Lord, okay? <laughs> oh, laud. You're not saying that. Laud means high praise in a public expression. Think about that for just a minute. High praise in a public expression. What do they tell us? Haste, haste to bring him high praise. Just like the angels did. The angels came out, boom, and appeared before a bunch of shepherds and began to remind them of what was happening. And we should do the same thing. But we also have to remember that he's no longer a babe in a manger. But we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 9 that there's this strange portion of Scripture that many of us have seen on Christmas cards. We talk about it. And yet, if you ever read the full context, it feels like it's out of place. Now, this is a prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Think about that for just a minute. 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. They've, they've been doing their own thing, and Isaiah's been trying to turn them back to God and of saying, you need to follow his word. You need to fear God. You need to stop doing things your own way. And I'm going to begin with verse uh, 1, and, and maybe you've never tied all this together, and that's, that's part of why we're here this morning, is to read Scripture in the context it was meant to be read in, not to just pull bits and pieces out, but... Let's start with this. It doesn't sound like a Christmas story when you read the whole passage. So here we go, verse 1. Nevertheless, and when he says nevertheless, it means something else has happened, and it's talking about the earth seeing trouble and darkness and gloom and anguish, and, and people will be driven into darkness. And then he comes with some good news. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Now doesn't that sound like Christmas right there? Warriors with clothes dipped in blood and <laughs> woohoo, Christmas. But what he's saying up to this point is 
This prophecy is coming to you because we've been going astray. We've been in turmoil. We've walked in darkness. We've faced oppressor after oppression after oppression. And we've been slaves to ourselves and to other countries. And he even points out some places like Midian. And if you go back to the book of Judges, you know all about that. And, and you see that. And that there's just been this battle going on. But this this one that is to come is going to increase the joy of the nation and there's going to be rejoicing like men dividing spoils there's going to be a bright light a bright light that shines in darkness and not only to the Jews but he said it's going to appear in the land of the Gentiles he's speaking to a specific place and then here's the verse verses that we know so well it flows right out of that of, of these garments rolled in blood used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born. In my Bible, child is, is capitalized. And unto us a son is given. And in my Bible, the, the son is capitalized. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and, and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with ju judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, you've maybe heard that a hundred times, but have you ever read that complete passage? and seen that it's even happening still today. A world that's in darkness, in gloom, in despair, still has a Savior that will be a bright light in darkness. A Savior that shines when it seems gloomy. Someone that comes to help us rejoice. Now notice that nothing has changed. It didn't say there won't be any more wars. He didn't say that all of a sudden all this stuff's going to happen. But just the fact that one is going to come that's been prophesied will bring joy. And it's the same for us today. Anybody, anybody that understands the darkness of sin, the pain, and the shame of a life gone astray knows what that bright light means to them. Knows that even though that stuff still happened, that all of a sudden now there's hope and there can be rejoicing because a Savior has come for them and can stop the war between them. So we're going to take a look at this this morning and, and break some of this down and we're going to kind of go verse by verse through verses 9, 6, and 7 and understand this incredible prophecy that, again, written on Christmas cards that we make songs out of and, and we talk about. But if we'll grasp this this morning, we'll get a, a fresh understanding of, of why it's so important just today. And like I said, this is an ancient, ancient text. But all of the Bible is relevant for us. Maybe not all the personalities that are in there. They're gone. But the context of what was happening... And the realization that there's a Savior at any moment for us should bring us hope and joy. And for some of you, maybe it's scary. You've been in darkness a long time. Can I tell you, your scaredness doesn't bother Jesus? <laughs> He's okay with you being scared. He knows the human condition. 
And you're going to find, hopefully, a little bit of insight this morning as we take a look at this. Let's talk about this first thing they talk about, and that he's going to be a great light. Now, I'm going to give you caution before I go here. I would be what you'd consider a, uh, a narrow-minded, conservative, radical, spirit-filled believer. And so when I read verses in the Bible that say he, I know it's referring to Jesus Christ. Not somebody somewhere, a good teacher, a rabbi, the son of a potter. I'm talking about the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the God who was and is and will come back. And so if you're not okay with that, sucks to be you. Because the truth is, that's who we're talking about this morning. And you can talk about all the weirdness of how he had to empty himself to become a child and all the chemistry and DNA. And I don't have to figure that stuff out. And I'm okay with not knowing how all that works. I'm just so thankful there's a Savior. You know why? Because I had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sin. And I still struggle with sin. And I love the fact that he didn't just come to take care of my past, but also my present and my future. He's just not the God of who I used to be. He's the God of who is over me today and my future so that when I stumble and fall in the future, he is there as well. And if we just stopped right there, that would give us enough to go on and feed on and say, thank you, God, that you can take care of a pathetic, pitiful, hopeless person like that. Not just back then, 20-something years ago when I got saved, but today. And yes, my views have changed. And yes, I've walked this walk longer than I've ever had before. But yes, I still need a Savior. That is Jesus Christ. And tomorrow I will need that Savior. And at the only point that I won't need Him as a Savior anymore will be when He returns, and then I will be completely saved, and then the rejoicing just starts forever and ever. And I don't need to be saved from anything. I will have been saved, and the glorious times begin. And that's what's in store for you as well. And if you remember that, it makes the trials and the walk worth it. But if you're thinking, you don't know what it's like to give stuff up, I know exactly what it's like to give stuff up. I wasn't born into a Christian home. I wasn't raised in the church. I did all the stupidity and all the human things that are out there available, just like many of you have. And yet, there is a Savior that through His sacrifice that became a great light. And, and really, the reality to me was, how did I not see it? How could anyone be that dumb? How could a 20-something-year-old man that had had education be that ignorant to not see the bright light after celebrating 20-plus Christmases and not know who a Savior was? That's why we're focusing on this, is I don't want us to celebrate Christmas and people think it's about presents and trees and lights and decorations. The real thing we're celebrating is a Savior who's here for us every day, not just during Christmas. And if you miss that great light, you've missed it. 
If you just think of the great star that was shining that wise men traveled, you've missed it. He's shining just as bright today. And he shines through his word and the revelation of his Holy Spirit that points us back to him. So let's talk about this great light. First of all, verse 1, he says, there's this, nevertheless, this gloom will not be upon her, her being Israel, her being his bride, who is, notice this, they're distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed them, the land of Zebulun, the land of Nathali, these, these lands that had been distributed, and they're very strategic, and we're not going to go into the history lesson of that today. You can look that up on your own. But I want you to see this. Somehow, even though we know there's a Savior, in our gloom, in our despair, in the darkness of our sin, we somehow fear that our sorrows and our troubles won't end, and it can make for some very long nights. Have you ever had one of those long nights? <laughs> Where there's no answer? And you've even been praying, Lord, whatever it is you pray, but you don't feel anything? And for those of you who have been around me a little while, you'll, this won't be news to you, but for those of you who have forgotten, it doesn't matter if you feel anything. The truth remains the same. When we pray, He hears and mediates on our behalf whether you feel it or not. If you do feel it, woo, that's just gravy. But if you don't, the truth remains that he is still Savior and he still saves in the midst of your gloom, in the midst of your despair, even when it seems hopeless, even when it seems like he's far away and can't hear, he still hears, he still works on our behalf. He's still a great light. The problem is many of us are wearing shades. Anybody remember that old 80s song, My Future Show, So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades? Did you know your future is bright? But I encourage you to take off the shades and see the great light of Jesus Christ shining on you that you have been blessed and saved and sanctified and secured by Him. We should be able to find comfort in the certainty that the Lord may not always take us out of or around the trouble, but He safely leads us through them. What He says in here. People have walked in darkness. They've seen this great light. They're going through these passages by the sea, beyond the Jordan. He's, he's talking about all these places. And these were not joyous places. These were times of trial. These were times of oppression. And yet God was with them through it all. God had not forgotten them. God was waiting for the opportune moment. You see, that's the, that's the tricky thing with us as human beings is that God knows if he saves us too quick, we don't learn our lesson and we'll be right back in it real quick. And so he says, I love you so much, I want to make sure you learn this lesson so that you don't have to struggle like this anymore. And we're like, no, i got to get out of this. I hate this tension. I hate this stuff. And, and sometimes he does, and we find out if we learn or not. But if you're a hard head like me, I know that if I don't have to suffer a little bit, I'll be right back there again. We had a great uh, weekend with family, and, and I was talking to one of my uh, little 
second nephews, or I always get confused with the proper term is, my, my niece's son. Because <laughs> he knew I didn't like vegetables. And I just told him flat out, I'm an adult now, I don't have to eat them. Maybe I should, but I don't have to. And you know why? Because I had parents that were stupid like me, and I love them, but they would say stupid stuff. You don't even know you don't like it. You've got to try it. I can smell it. I know what broccoli cooking smells like, and it doesn't even smell good. Why would I want to eat it? I don't like the texture. And after the first bite, being in a conservative family that I was in, and I said, I don't like it, you've got to clean your plate. See how they're tricky like that? They knew I would eat meat. Give me almost any kind of meat. They knew I liked bread. They knew I liked milk. They knew I liked ketchup. But invariably, almost every meal of my childhood, they tried to get me to eat green, mushy stuff. And you wouldn't believe how many hours I wasted at tables because they wouldn't let me down until I'd finished my plates. And I learned the art of deception. You'd be surprised how many peas you can put around the underside of your plate. And hiding broccoli and milk. Now you know why I like milk. It hides stuff, right? Or as my wife knows, the tendency to put ketchup, you put enough ketchup on something, you can probably get it down. Even if you don't chew it, at least it lubricates enough to just swallow that stuff and then you don't have to taste it. The problem is that for many of us, we have a taste for sin and rebellion and independence. And until we learn what's good for us, which is God's guiding hand, we keep eating and eating and eating it. And if he, it didn't matter how much we just said it's bad for you or it's good for you. And Every one of you know this. Your parents probably said something. It's good for you. And it didn't make it taste any better. But there is no way to sugarcoat hell, which is the outcoming result of a life of sin. There's no way to say that God's word that convicts us and makes us feel shame and makes us feel like we've done wrong and that we haven't owned up. There's no way to sugarcoat the scriptures, and that's why he has to be our Savior today and tomorrow because we'll keep doing stuff and we all have seasons of sin that's even pleasurable, the Bible says, for a while. And that's why He leads us sometimes just through it and doesn't deliver us out of it. <laughs> I want you to know how long and hard this valley is so you won't go through it again. I want you to know how this hurt you and the time that was wasted so you won't go through it again, not out of a, a lack of a feeling on God's part, but because He loves us. 
Moving on. Also, this child would become theirs and our deliverer. He is the Messiah. And that's what Messiah means, this deliverer. He is the Christ, which means the anointed one. He is Jesus. This child that they're speaking of isn't just some baby born someplace. He was significant from the moment, not even of his birth, but of his conception. He was the only one that was ever born to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though he's called the Son of Man, man didn't have a part in his conception. Only God did. He is the great light that has shined on us, verse 2. You see, we've all walked in darkness at one point in our life or another. My beautiful, wonderful, darling granddaughter, is a sinner. And she displayed that this weekend when I picked up another child. I picked up my darling niece's brand new daughter. It's probably, I think she's only two weeks behind my granddaughter. And immediately, my daughter's child began to whine and groan and reach like, why are you holding her? You're only supposed to hold me. Now, of course, we taught that to her. Where does that come from? Our flesh. The sin that's when it, the selfishness. Nobody had to teach her that, and I love her, and she's dear, and I would give my life for her. She's a sinner. She got it from her mother and her grandmother. <laughs> All that to say this. You've got two choices with that great light. See it or ignore it. There's still a great light shining today. Jesus is just as bright as he's always been, shining his light of glory and the message of salvation onto a lost and darkened world. And you can either block it because you don't want to see the light or you embrace it. And yes, it's scary to embrace it, but once you embrace it, you know the fullness of his forgiveness. You know the joy and the warmth of his love like nothing else. But if you block it out, you can block it for a time. But hear me, please, this morning. If you block it out, you will face that sun, that great light again. And this time there will be no excuses. There will be no blocking. There will be no place to hide. You will stand before a risen Savior and give an account of your life. Wouldn't it be better to do it today? Wouldn't it be better to just embrace the light right now and say, Lord, I know that light's going to show every dirty part of me, but let it shine. <laughs> Wash me. Make me white as snow. Let your love cover me so that when the next light shines, I won't be found wanting. <laughs> but that requires us to realize the darkness in us, the dirtiness of us, the ability of us to not want him to shine on us, and yet he's still a great light. And some of us feel like it's harsh 
and unyielding, and some of us feel like it's warm and refreshing. But it all depends, depends on where you're at. Let's ask the next question. Why a child? Great question. We, we dealt with that on week one a little bit, but let's just get to the point why this is so important and why they emphasize this so much. We have to understand that sin began with humans. And it's only in human form that we can pay for our sin. All the way back at the beginning, sin entered in. The original uh, God's couple chose sin, chose a different path over God, and because of that, Jesus had to come as a child to break the cycle. Now, this required something different because, you see, it's impossible for an immortal God to die. That's what immortal means. So he had to become human so that he could take sin upon him. He never sinned, but he took sin upon him. He took our sin. And let's be theologically clear here. Not just our sin then, but our sin up to today and into our future. He took all the world's sin upon himself, but he could only do that as a human being. Because for every sin, there must be a sacrifice. And so you'll see in a lot of the Scripture that it says he is the perfect lamb, the lamb of God. We've been saying about that sacrifice this morning. The sacrifice wasn't being born in a manger and humiliated. He wasn't humiliated. He came to do what he came to do. The sacrifice was the cross. The sacrifice was that the darkness felt like it beat him. But he had a bigger plan. You see, all the badness in the world couldn't keep him down. And he rose up and became Savior again. And that's good news. It also speaks that a son was given. Look at that. It wasn't taken. A son is given. And in those days, and even many cultures today, those sons are important. A son is a blessing because it takes on the name. A son is a promise. Think of how many stories that we read of, of someone that couldn't have children, and they waited and they waited for the promise of God, and a son was given to them. And I would challenge you, read through your scripture and ever find a woman in there that was barren that begged and begged for a child and God gave her a daughter. Not because daughters aren't important or that God looked at it, but they knew a son kept the line going. A son provided for the family. A son was a promise, a blessing, a heritage to keep the name going. What have we received? We've received Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So now we have an everlasting Father. Right? And the heritage that goes with it. What's His heritage? It says that we've been made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything He's got, we've got. Every spiritual blessing is for us. He has stored up heavenly riches for us. But sometimes we forget that, and that's what I'm saying. If we can't understand this this morning, then 
religion sounds like a bunch of do's and don'ts. Have I talked about any rules and regulations this morning? No. Look at what we've been given. And yet sometimes you talk to people, oh, Christianity is such a downer. It's such a, you don't understand. You don't understand what's been stored up for you. You don't understand what he's done for you. You don't understand what your future is. You don't understand that he's only taking away the darkness and the bad life and giving us good. And if you think that all that mess you were involved in was good, you need to open your eyes to a better light. It may have been fun, and I don't know why being strung out on drugs and throwing up for three hours, drinking too much is fun, but many of us did it over and over again every weekend, and we couldn't wait for the next weekend. And there's a proverb about that, about a dog returning to its vomit. We don't get it, and you think that's fun. You know what's fun? Knowing that you have a future. Knowing that you've got a God that won't give up on you. Knowing that God has given you a family that goes beyond some of those crazy people you were born into. <laughs> Knowing that you have an inheritance that you're going to stand before him and he's not going to look at you with anger but with love and say, well done, my beloved son or daughter. Knowing that he is our protector. Knowing that he is our provider. Knowing that nothing can defeat him that's good news. It has nothing to do with all the do's and the don'ts. His name brings hope and a promise for those who have been born again. You see, we have to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. If he had to be born, we have to be born not just into humanity, but into the spiritual realm. And even the experts of the law struggled with this and wrestled with this. How can a man be born again? And Jesus says, it's easy. Don't you get this? You've got to be born into a new nature. You've got to be born under another father. You've got to be born into a new family. And for many of us, we struggle with this. I'd rather just do the checklist and the reason why is we're afraid to give up self and accept a Savior. Because if there's a Savior, that means that I wasn't good enough to save myself. If there's a Savior, that means I had to have something I'm saved from. If there's a Savior, that means that somehow I'll be called to an account someday, and we don't want to think about that. Or we can see it as a gift that's been given. See, Isaiah saw it as a gift that's been given. Let's bring him incense and frankincense, and myrrh. Well, what has he done yet? The only thing he's done has been born. But therein is the solution. The Savior has come that we've been waiting for. A promise was fulfilled. And every last one of us has to start again with Jesus. It shouldn't be that hard, but it is hard. <laughs> It's humbling to admit we need a Savior. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to kneel before a baby and pledge our allegiance? But we have a Savior King that went through everything we're ever going to go through. That's amazing to me. What a gift. 
The fact that he knows what every type of sin is so that we can no longer say, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like. He knows what it's like. He took it all. And that's a gift. Let's talk about this government. And I think it's interesting. He says this. He says the government will be upon his shoulder. Now what is government? And, and don't start thinking democracy or Marxism or communism. Those are just forms of government. Did you know you and I were made to be governed? That's where it gets sticky, doesn't it? Because we want to be free agents. We want to be self-employed. We want to be self-ruled. But he says, you really don't find your hope and your joy when you're self-ruled because you got you to where you are and you can't get yourself out. <laughs> How about you realize I made you and you're not a mistake, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are created for good works. That you are my craftsmanship. And no matter what people have said about you, no matter how you feel about yourself, God made you the way you are. And that only hurts if you look around at other people instead of realizing he's not a cookie cutter. But he hand fashioned you. Some of you are wondering, how, where did my hair go? Some of you are saying, where did this hair come from? that God made us exactly the way we were supposed to be, not the way anybody else was supposed to be. His government, look at, look at the difference. According to this scripture, it says that his government is increasing. That means it's getting bigger. And it's also peaceful. Man, that's good. That his government is increasing and peaceful. Think of the world government. There's always conflict. There's always some rub. There's always friction because governments don't always get along. But of his government, there will be increase. It's going to continue to grow. And so if you're thinking, well, it doesn't feel like that now, just wait. Did you know that there's another prophecy that his glory will cover the earth? What will his kingdom be like then? Revelation talks about that lions lying down with lambs. Wow. That the nature of things changes. It also will have no end. If we'll come into a kingdom now, we'll know that this government will never end. That his kingdom is everlasting. Did you know there may come a time when there's no longer an American government? Some of you already think that we're there, I know. <laughs> But listen, anything man-made is only temporary. And it's flawed. Even at its best, it's flawed. And yet we've been given a government, a ruling set of priorities and guidelines that will increase and bring us peace, not pain. It also says that he rules over what has been. He rules over the throne of David. He was the God in ruling things way before there was ever people. He didn't need our help. And he's going to rule over the Davidic throne, all of his Jewish lineage, all the way back through the ages. He has ruled over that well, and he also will be king over everything in the future. And we sing about those things, and if we would actually put them into context, the king who was and is and is to come. 
When has he ever not ruled? He is the longest reigning king ever and will be. He knows how to rule over what's his. Also, this government is ordered and established. There's no craziness. There's no chaos because he is not a God of chaos. And it's established with judgment and justice. I would much rather trust my life with somebody like his judgment than some federal court judge or some human judgment because we all have filters. We all have prejudice. We all have biases. And yet his judgments are pure and his justice is perfect. Now I'm going to insert this because it's, it's going to come to play in future months. Just because he says that there is good judgment and justice doesn't mean that everything's fair. God's kingdom is not fair, but he is good. And he is just. All right? Just tuck that away for later. Listen to this. His government was established at his birth, and it will last forever and ever and ever. Now, God's kingdom has always been, but the government that he came to rule and reign was established at his birth. Now, sometimes people struggle with this, but let me ask you this. When a king has a son, what do you call him? Prince, right? What has that son done to be called by such a title? He was born to a king. It doesn't matter what he's done. He's of the right bloodline. He may turn into a horrible king, but he will still be the next king, right? What did Jesus have to do to be named the King of kings and Lord of lords. He had to be born of God. Right? He didn't have to do anything as a baby. He didn't have to perform any miracles. He didn't have to be born into a castle. He didn't have to do any of those things just by his bloodline. Now you want to know the good part? If his blood has covered us, what part do we have in this kingdom now? Remember I said we're joint heirs? That we are sons and daughters of the king. Right? Did you have to earn it? Did you deserve it? Or just by a bloodline was it handed down to you? What a present. What a present of our Savior. I love this last part. His kingdom was established by God's zeal. You see, Jesus wasn't on an ego trip. <laughs> he didn't just show up on the world and said, you know what, I'm God, everybody's going to bow down. He was born into obscurity, <laughs> and a lot of times he kept his miracle secret because he wanted people to follow him just because they wanted to follow him. A lot of times, even when he cast out demons, he said, you've got to be quiet and not tell the world who I am. It's not my time yet. It's not all about me. And every time somebody started to try to give him praise, he always deflected it to the Father. He was zealous, not jealous, but zealous for his Father. He was zealous 
to point all the praise back to God and to say God is our Father, our, our everlasting good God. He is the one that you should be giving praise to. That's very hard for us as humans. We love praise. We feed on praise. Can I tell you? It's just as pure when we can deflect praise and say it's all God. I haven't fixed myself. It's all God. I haven't called myself to this position. It's all God. I haven't atoned for my sin. It's all God. And when he gets praise, I still get the benefits of him as Savior. 